You know that internal debate over whether or not you should eat the pasta or bread? That is food drama. Stop stressing and start searching for balance. I can't believe it's not butter is the key. With 60 calories per serving and 70% less saturated fat than butter, you can enjoy it on foods you love. Simple. Cut the drama, not the taste, with I can't believe it's not butter. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 202, and today we are talking about books being released on April 2nd, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hello! Whatever the podcast version of like slow motion running down the beach into each other's arms <laughs> is, I feel like I'm doing that now. It's been so long. I know. I missed, I was not on in February. So it, like it has been forever since I've been here. Or yeah. maybe I was on in February, not in March. I can't remember. No, I, I don't even was, know where we are. I think are. it was two months. I think you had to miss one yeah. because of something. So it's been almost two months. Time is I was a like, flat isn't circle. I'm going to remember me. I've been having a lot of separation anxiety. Me too. You know how I also have those really weird thoughts while I'm reading the intro? When I started talking about how it was episode 202, my brain was like, remember that TV show 227? <laughs> like, like, no. Oh, yeah, no. That, my brain started playing like little bits of it. It was like with Jacquet, I think. Oh, and, I remember uh, her. An apartment building or something. I don't know. I watched it when I was a kid in the 80s. Anyway, that was I my only random know, thought. I only know Jacquet from Sister Sister. Yeah. They got locked in a toy store with Pee Wee Herman. Oh, that's a whole, we are, man, we really are, like, that did not take long for the wheels to come off. Uh, I don't know where I set my keys this morning, but I can tell you about 227. Oh, goodness. All right. You know, before we get into our show, we want to highlight for our reader, our readers, our listeners, because that's how you consume a <laughs> podcast. Um, the Book Riot has a new podcast all about kid lit. It's called Kid Lit These Days. It's hosted by Karina Jan Glaser and Matthew Winner. And it's about children's book authors and how they're responding to world events. It will give you a look into authors and illustrative creative processes. And of course, it's going to give you more children's book recommendations than you could ever wish for. They also take a child at. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Liberty. Don't add us. Um, they also are going to have amazing guests, including Meg Medina, Jenny Torres Sanchez, and Guadalupe Garcia McCall, who will share their thoughts about writing for children in the current political climate. There is so much. Of course, there are just tons of great kids books. And so if you have been thinking about wanting to listen to a couple people who really know their stuff talk about kids books, now you can. Again, it's called Kid Lit These Days. You can subscribe to it in Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Awesome. Yes. You know what else is awesome? Seeing everybody's banana pants merchandise mm-hmm. on the internet. People have been tagging me. It's fantastic. It's very satisfying. Yeah. I I am very happy. I got my shirt. I got my stickers. I'm ready to go. I am that person a- who will wear the shirt. I won't wear the shirt of the band I'm going to see, but I will wear my podcast shirt every day. I feel like you're allowed to do that. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I'm sitting here in my Book Riot hoodie, so I hope it's allowed. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. I I just want to keep talking to you, really. I don't, like, I just want to keep talking. So I am well, finally let's do feeling it, better, which is I'm amazing. I'm so glad. You I sound was, like yourself. I've had, like, the worst winter ever, 
as everyone knows, because I keep mentioning it. <laughs> and I'm finally, you know, not feeling so sick. I'm sorry. I know you were getting a cold. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm getting a cold or something. I have a little like throat frogginess happening. So I'll just sit here with my herbal tea and everything will be fine. It's the spring. Like even my, my boyfriend who never gets sick, like in the spring, is he starts getting like allergy stuff. It's just Yeah. I think that's what it is. We're having like, well, Southern spring is very like 55 degrees one day, 75 degrees the next. There's pollen, but then there might be frost at night. Like it's very back and forth and it's just confusing biologically, but I think I'm going to make it. It'll be okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Because if you didn't, I would miss you. I would miss you too. And speaking of missing you, see what I did there? (laughs) My first book is I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpott. I love her. I don't even know if it's fair to talk about this book because I obsessively adore her (laughs) in a totally not creepy way. Everything about this is fine. (laughs) She is, like, I I discovered her on the internet. Um, She's an illustrator. She's an author. She works at Parnassus Books. She's just fantastic. Everything about her just seems amazing all the time. And I got to meet her at the National Book Awards, and she was, in fact, the nicest person because, one, she didn't run screaming, and two, she's just the nicest person. So this is her fantastic collection of essays. They're like memoir essays. She's talking about her life and how she feels and felt like she needed to have it all and do it all and realize, like, the things that she thought she needed. You know, she talks about, like, she has, like, a beautiful house and she has a husband and two kids and cars and, you know, job and she does all this stuff. And she realizes, you know, like, a few years ago, these aren't the things that she wanted. Like, she was not happy with what she had. And she didn't understand why, because by all accounts, she should. And she talks about a lot, like, she's very open and honest about having OCD and being a perfectionist. You know, like, she cannot stand to be late. She has to eat certain bites of her food, like, you know, in an even number. And what it's, like, when she got to this point where she was, like, not happy with anything that's going on, you know, she felt like... She needed to change things. And she talks about imposter syndrome. And she talks about having an identity crisis. And how it's not just, like, they show you in TV where it's like, you have a midlife crisis, boom. You know, at this certain point in your life, and that's it. You'll never be upset about anything ever, you know, before that or after that. It's just, like, this one thing you have to do. Like, how people have them every day. And it was amazing reading this because I was like, I, in my eyes, she is perfect. You know, like, like by look. And it's one of those things, like, you shouldn't judge people by what you see on the internet. You know, and mm-hmm. not that I, you know, I'm very sorry that she feels this way about things, you know, <laughs> like, you know, but like, I was just like, oh, this is, this is amazing to hear. Um, you know, it made me feel better. And I think that was the point of, of why she wrote this book also was like, she wanted to share this with other people to make them feel better and be like, you know, it's okay to not be perfect at everything. It's okay to not want to be perfect at everything. It's okay to be unhappy with how things are going. It's okay, you know, to all these things. And, and, but she's just, she's so funny. She's so funny, and mm-hmm. she's just the nicest, you know. So she just shares all these stories about anxiety and failure, and she's amazing. And also, I want to say something about the title, because if, like, when I first heard the title, it felt like something that you would hear, you know, all the time. I was like, that must be, like, a country song or something, <laughs> or, you know, like, it just, it, it was so perfect. And it turns out that it's something that her six-year-old son said to her while he was just, like, goofing off illustrating one day. And she held on to it until she found the perfect use for so it. So sweet. Yeah. So. Yeah. You read this I too, s- didn't you? I did. Yeah. I second all the emotions about this book. I read it when I was traveling and she was just the most delightful 
travel companion. She writes about like, I thought this stuff about perfectionism and holding yourself to standards that that are entirely self-created, like hold, like expecting yourself to achieve things that no one has told you they expect you to achieve, but believing that if you don't achieve them, someone else will be disappointed in you or you'll be a failure. Like she just articulates it so honestly and gives a lot of examples from her own life. And she talks about like making sure that she wins competitions that no one else knows are even happening. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And as a recovering perfectionist, um, I feel like Mary Laura Philpott has probably now at this point also read a lot of Brene Brown. Um, but as somebody who has like really worked through some of those things in my personal and professional life, it was just validating and grounding to hear someone else. It's always helpful to hear someone else talk about those feelings in a way that's like smarter and funnier than you talk about them when you talk about when you talk to yourself yeah. about the same <laughs> things. Yeah, I really, really loved this one too. It's like, what is that thing you see on Instagram all the time? That thing that people share, it's like, don't compare your day to day with my highlight reel, I think mm, is, is yeah. what they say. And it's kind of like that. Um, she's just amazing. Also, are you excited for the Brene Brown Netflix special? I am so excited for the name of the Brene Brown Netflix special. <laughs> I thought of you when I saw the ad. I was like, oh, yeah, if it's, I mean, if it's like, you know, I I don't care what it is for an hour. I'm into it. Um, Yes. I'm very excited about that. Um, Yeah. You know, yes. So that was, I miss you when I blink. By Mary Laura Philpott. We love her. We did it together. Look at that. Um, You know, my next one or my first one this week feels a little thematically similar. I didn't do it. On purpose, but these, I think, go together nicely in a segment. It's Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed by Lori Gottlieb. Uh, This is a wonderful memoir. Lori Gottlieb is a therapist. She has a practice in LA. And the sort of inciting incident of this book is that she has an unexpected breakup that sends her spiraling, and she decides it's time for her to go back to therapy. So she finds a new therapist, and the narrative of the book sort of weaves between her experiences in therapy, just being a normal person sitting in the client chair in a therapy session, feeling her feelings and like getting frustrated by her therapist and wanting to impress her therapist or wanting to make her therapist laugh, like having just sort of all the responses that a person has sort of despite the fact that she also professionally sits in the therapist chair 40 hours a week and sees things from the other side. And the other through line of the book is her writing about those experiences with um, a few particular clients that like we follow their stories um, and her relationship with those clients, the things she's thinking about when she's in sessions with them, the way that she's sort of the strategy that a therapist brings to how they're trying to get a client to talk about a thing and how like she knows all this stuff, she's trained and it's in her brain. But when she flips her role and she goes and sits in the client chair in her own therapy sessions, she sort of like forgets all that and is just a person who's in therapy working through her own stuff. It's just also... I think really honest, really funny and touching. Like if you have had emotions, uh, this is a book that you will find something to relate to. If you've been in therapy, it's um, definitely relatable and fun. And I think like very, it's very warm and grounding about like 
like the level of care that good therapists are bringing to their clients and also the lack of judgment. Like I think most people who have been in therapy have at some point worried, like, does my therapist like me? And she talks about um, the feelings of liking clients that she has, but also when she's the client worrying if her therapist likes her or not, sort of seeing both sides of the relationship from one person's informed and really insightful experience of it is just awesome. Um, I also feel like I want to stand on street corners and hand this book to people who are like, oh, I know I should go to therapy, but like, but I'm worried about them not liking me or I'm worried that it won't work or whatever. Be like, but here, like, let this wonderful woman tell you how it can be. Um, I just really, really loved it. I think it's a wonderful read, but I think it's also important um, in the ongoing conversation that validates mental health concerns and mental health care and that everyone needs help sometimes, uh, including therapists. Like We are all just people. Um, Everyone is just a person who sometimes needs help. And here is what help can look like and what it's like to be a person who is giving that help also. Uh, It's just lovely and wonderful. Um, so again, it's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. You know, it, you know, I've never really thought about it until I was reading about this book, but like, I wouldn't get a tattoo from somebody who doesn't have any. Ah, uh-huh. You know, so like, of course your therapist should go to therapy. Yeah. A lot <laughs> First of, of all, you're listening to hormones <laughs> all day long. Like you probably need it. Yeah. A lot of, um, Therapy graduate programs, which I only know because this is like the career that I almost had, will require the students. Like at the time that you're getting your PhD, you have to be in therapy for a certain amount of time just to have the experience of having been the client. But I know, I know, like in ongoing life, that a lot of therapists have their own therapist, which both for purposes of being a person, but also for right for processing like the work that you do and the kinds of things people talk to you about. I would not want to find out that my therapist has never been in therapy. <laughs> I don't know if I could take it seriously if I had to do it for school. I would just be so tempted mm. to, like, make stuff up. <laughs> just be... <laughs> and this is why I... not. Well, that's a whole it. other thing, Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of whole other things, because this is completely different from everything that we've just talked about, <laughs> our first sponsor for today is Once and Future by Corey McCarthy and Amy Rose Capetta. And it's awesome. I read it. It's so much fun. Also, I'm so in love with the cover. But let me tell you what it's about. Ari Helix has been chased her entire life. A fugitive refugee in territory controlled by the evil Mercer Corporation, Ari has always had to hide who she is. Until she crash lands on Old Earth, pulls a magic, bleh, pulls a magic sword from its ancient resting place, and becomes the 42nd reincarnation of King Arthur. 42 is the answer to everything. <laughs> then she meets Merlin, who has, get this, aged backward over the centuries into a teenager. And together they must break the curse that keeps Arthur coming back. Their quest? Defeat the cruel, oppressive government and bring peace and equality to all humankind. No pressure. Once in Future (laughs) is King Arthur as you've never imagined, a bold, sizzling, game-changing YA epic that retells the popular legend with the Once in Future king as a teenage girl, and she has a universe to save. And a surly teenager wizard <laughs> as a friend. <laughs> it's so much fun. Authors Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy are real-life romantic partners and members of the LGBTQ community and couldn't be more excited to share the story, one that showcases queer heroes on the page. Once in Future takes the traditionally white male King Arthur myth that's been told far too often and turns it on its head with a cast of incredibly diverse characters in terms of gender identity, sexual orientation, and race. The authors have christened them the Knights of the Rainbow. It is so much fun. 
so, so, so much fun. I know, I think I mentioned it last week in the newsletter, but seriously, so much fun. And Amy Rose Capetta has The Lost Coast coming out in a few months, too, which I love and will be talking about on the show. So that is the Once and Future... Nope, that's the THY. This is just Once and Future (laughs) by Corey McCarthy and Amy Rose Capetta, and we thank them for sponsoring and for being so rad. (laughs) Awesome. So speaking of rad, my next pick is... I keep, I keep closing my notes. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm just so nervous to be talking to you. It's just too exciting. I can't handle it. I keep closing all the things. My next, <laughs> my next pick is The Affairs of the Falcons by Melissa Rivero, which is set in New York City in the 1990s. And I mention that because I talked about a book a couple months ago called The Falconer by Dana Sapanik, which is also set in New York City in the 1990s. And I just thought that was funny. Um, to me, anyway. <laughs> but this is about Anna and Lucho Falcone. They move with their children from Peru. Uh, they're trying to escape the political climate and some terrible things that have happened there. Now they are in America. They are undocumented. And they are trying to do what is best for their family, um, which is not easy, even when you're a citizen. So being undocumented makes it much, much harder. Uh, Anna is working all the time in a factory. Um, she's fallen into debt with a loan shark. Uh, Lucho's cousin, who has taken them in, is just critical of them all the time and is also kicking them out uh, and they don't know where they're going to go. Lucho wants to go back. He is tired of being there. He doesn't enjoy it. He wants to go back to Peru. Anna is much more opposed to that. You know, she's trying to figure out, like, is it worth staying here in this country? Should she give in and go back to Peru? Should they split up? Like, what should they do? It's a really important novel right now because it's, you know, discussing the situation of immigration, undocumented immigration, um, you know, what people give up. Like, I think... You know, a lot of people just hear, like, oh, these people came into the country illegally. And, and yes, that happens. But, like, why did they do that, you know? Think about, like, what they gave up to get here. What they have to leave behind. The reasons that they left their country. Like, the things that are so horrible. Like, what would you do for your family? Like, what wouldn't you do for your family? Mm -hmm. You know? And how do you make the right choices when you are in a country where you're not even supposed to have any choices? Like, Like, what do you do? So, it's a really, really wonderful novel. It's sad. It's beautiful. You know, the writing is incredible. And I just think everyone should read it. It's The Affairs of the Falcons, and it's by Melissa Rivero. Whew. Uh, my next one is Sad and Beautiful also. It came out last week on March 26th. It's called No Happy Endings. It's a memoir by Nora McInerney. Um, she is the host of a really popular podcast called Terrible Thanks for Asking, um, where people talk about like the worst experiences and the most difficult moments of their lives. And this is a memoir really about how you move on in life after everything has fallen apart. Um, In her late 20s, she met a wonderful man that she fell in love with. And I think within the first year that they were together, he was diagnosed with brain cancer um, and underwent surgeries and underwent chemo and all of the really difficult things that people go through when they're dealing with cancer. And um, a few years later, he died. His funeral was on their wedding anniversary. And within they and they had um, they had a child together. And then within a year of losing him, unexpectedly, she met and fell in love with someone else. Um, and they are now married to each other. They blended their families and they have a child together. And she spends the book um, talking about wrestling with that experience of 
of sort of all of the elements of this, of you know, still very much loving her husband, of course, um, and being in love with him and mourning the life that they dreamed of having together, but are not going to have together, but also the joy of having met someone else and having discovered that you just like that love is not zero sum, um, that you can make more love and that loving a new person does not negate the love that you had for the past partner, um, that she loves her current husband and her family, but she does does, of course, still love her first husband and the life that she dreamed that they would have together and sort of holding all of those inside herself, plus the criticism from people about what she was supposed to be doing as a young widow, um, all of the shoulds that come from outside and that also came from inside herself, things that she just thought she was supposed to be doing or she shouldn't be doing, feelings she should and shouldn't be having. And how do you, um, how do you, honor the life you had and honor the sadness and the grief, but also allow joy and love and beauty to continue to come in and grow your life. Um, she's like two weeks younger than me. And like she mentions her birthday in the book and reading um, about this kind of experience with this much perspective and heart and just like space for the difficult things of it, but to be difficult and messy and let yourself live life um, from someone who's like my exact age was challenging and validating and it just gave me a lot to chew on. She's really funny. So like this is a tough book to read in a lot of ways, but it's also really funny and grounding. Um, and I've heard her give interviews on other podcasts. I've listened to a few episodes of Terrible Thanks for Asking. Um, it's I, I find her like I would want to like have a beer with her, talk about the hard things we've gone through in our life, and then acknowledge that the like growing through those things and continuing to let life be beautiful um, is really important and wonderful. So that's No Happy Endings by Nora McInerney. It's a memoir, and I loved it. All right. Moving okay. on to more difficult things. Um, before I start talking about this, I do just want to give a trigger warning um, for sexual assault and abuse in mm -hmm. the discussion of this book. Um, there's no escaping it. And also just the book itself. It's based on actual events, and the whole thing is very hard. Um, but... It's amazing. It's by, it's called Women Talking, and it's by Miriam Taves, which is spelled T-O-E-W-S, but it's Miriam Taves. Um, she does not shy away from difficult subjects at all. Her last book was called All My Puny Sorrows. It just about broke me. Oh. Um, she's such an amazing writer. She is such a gift, and like Canada appreciates her, and America mm -hmm. needs to get on board because she's an incredible writer. However, like I was saying, this is a very difficult subject to talk about. Um, this it is a novel, but it's based on actual events. Uh, it's about these eight Mennonite women who live in a colony. They're in Bolivia. And for many years, they believe that at night, demons come to them and assault them. And they've mm. thought this for a long time. And then the women discover that the men in the colony drug them. Like, they've been being drugged oh. at night. And so now they're talking about... What are they going to do? The men in the colony have left to go deal with matters pertaining to the rapists. And they're like, do we flee? Do we stay here and fight them? Do we kill them? Like, what should we do? Um, these women can't read. They don't know the world outside of their colony. They don't even speak the language. So they don't know what to do. And like I said, this is based on actual events. It's incredibly distressing and powerful. Um, but she also writes her books with a lot of humor, which sounds impossible in this situation, but it's true. Um, and, and certainly, you know, the subject is dark, but it's about, like, what 
women will do when they are given a voice or when they come together. Um, and it's, I've read a couple of reviews of this since I read it and people are like, I, I can't believe like this isn't realistic because these women are like so calmly talking about their experiences. But you have to remember that like not everyone's experience is the same when things happen to them, you know, mm -hmm. they're frankly discussing because this is all they've known, you know? So, um, I just thought it was, it was incredible. And like I said, it's very hard to read, but worth it. It is called Women Talking, and it's by Miriam Taves. I just can second that emotion for all my puny sorrows and how wonderful she is, but I have not made it to Women Talking yet. It's it's amazing. Ooh, let's take a little break and do a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need a breather. The wheels came off, and then we cried all over them. <sighs> you know, we've cried on this show before. It would be okay. <laughs> Our next sponsor this week is The Things We Cannot Say by Kelly Rimmer. Uh, in 1942, Europe remains in the relentless grip of war. Just beyond the tents of the Russian refugee camp she calls home, a young woman speaks her wedding vows. It's a decision that will alter her destiny. And it's a lie that will remain buried until the next century. Slipping between Nazi-occupied Poland and the frenetic pace of modern life, Kelly Rimmer creates an emotional and finely wrought narrative that weaves together two women's stories into a tapestry of perseverance, loyalty, love, and honor. The Things We Cannot Say is an unshakable reminder of the devastation when truth is silenced and how it can take a lifetime to find our voice before we learn to trust it. Uh, this is Kelly Rimmer's second novel, it marries the issue-driven family drama of somebody like Jodi Pico's writing with the poignant World War II love story of Pam Jenoff's writing. The novel follows a woman's urgent search for answers to a family mystery, and it uncovers truths about herself that she never expected. Uh, so that, again, is The Things We Cannot Say. It's by Kelly Rimmer. It is published by Graydon House Books. It's out now. You can find it wherever books are sold, or we'll have a link in the show notes. So thanks to them for sponsoring. All right. All right. Well, there was a little mention in there about a person finding their voice, and that is a perfect segue to my next pick, which is called Finding My Voice, My Journey to the West Wing and the Path Forward by Valerie Jarrett. Um, Valerie Jarrett is one of those people who, like, if you're a politics wonk, you probably know her name. Um, if you've read a bunch of the Obama White House memoirs, like a certain person on this podcast, um, you definitely know her name. But she's one of those figures that has done really important work, but that is not why, like the, her name is not widely known um, because the people who work behind the scenes in politics are often, they just often don't get the kind of recognition that they should. But she was um, one of Barack Obama's senior advisors through both, both terms in the White House, and it made her the longest serving senior White House aide, I think, in White House history. Um, most people don't last eight years in a job that demanding. <laughs> She had a really incredible life or has had a really incredible life so far and a really like impressive career. Um, she was and, – and this is her memoir about all of it. Um, she was born in Iran. Um, her parents are black. She's black. And in the 60s when she was about to be – in the 50s and 60s when she was about to be born and her parents were looking for work. Um, her dad, who was a doctor, could not get the kinds of opportunities he wanted in the U.S. because many places were still segregated. So her family moved to Iran because the opportunities were better there. And she spent um, her early childhood in Iran and then her family eventually moved back to Chicago 
Um, and she, she like she first really experienced racism and understanding racial segregation um, after that point. Um, all complicated by the fact that she is relatively light skinned and could sometimes pass. So people would like kids would say things to her that were negative remarks about black people not realizing that she is black. Um, and she writes about how those experiences shaped her. Um, she ultimately became a lawyer, worked in a fancy corporate setting before deciding to go work for city government instead. And in the early 90s, she interviewed a young lawyer named Michelle Robinson, um, who was looking for a job in Chicago city government. Of course, Michelle Robinson became Michelle Obama. And that is how their paths first intersected, but they have been in each other's lives since then. Um, she, Valerie Jarrett was a, is, I'm sure still a trusted, um, advisor to the Obamas, both on matters, personal and political. She's one of those like senior level aides and people that they relied on both for being a confidant, but also for guiding policy decisions. Um, and she was in the room where all of the important things happened, uh, in that administration. She writes about a lot of her work that's focused on creating opportunities for women and girls, especially girls of color, um, moving civil rights forward, criminal justice reform, um, what it's like to be a single working mother and really devoted to your child, but also to your career and how she um, how she personally solved those issues and, and worked in that kind of space and then um, writes her perspective on some of the most memorable moments of the Obama presidency and also a look towards um, towards the future and towards um, developing new leaders and moving into, you know, the rest of the 21st century. It's really inspiring. I loved learning more about her and her story because at this point I've read so many of the Obama White House books and heard about her in Michelle Obama's memoir that I it was cool to actually instead of hearing stories about her hear them from her perspective just a really smart inspiring um wonderful example of a woman who's had an amazing career and is going to I'm sure do many more interesting and wonderful things so that's Finding My Voice by Valerie Jarrett Now I might be um getting ahead of us but is this the one that Jasper took a liking to? Oh, no. That's the next one. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> I won't say any more then. Um, oh, right, because we still have... I don't know where I am in the show. <laughs> I was, like, listening to you talk about it going, yeah, I want to read this, and I, like, completely lost track of what I was doing. So, I have a last pick, but first, I have to say, I was going to talk about a different book today. I was all excited. I'd already read it. Very excited to talk about it. This morning was looking up something pertaining to it and realized it doesn't come out until next week. And now publishers, mm -hmm. publishers are moving the dates all the time, like way more than they ever used to. But the way that I know that it's either them or me is now that we have the new release index. So I input titles into the new release index. And if the book that I'm going to talk about is in there, if it's been moved, I have to manually change that date. Like, so if it still says like the old date, I'm like, oh, they changed the date. So today, this morning, I was like, please let it be them. Please let it be them. I was like, no whammies, no whammies. But, oh, it was me. Oh. It was totally me. I, I put it down wrong on my calendar. These things happen. Too many moving parts. Oh, wow. I'm very disappointed. So I started reading a new book about 30 minutes before we started the show. I've read the first 30 pages. It's really good. And I've heard a million people talk about it. And so I'm going to mention it because I think everyone's going to want to read this and it's, they're going to enjoy it. It is called The Devouring Grey by Christine Lynn Herman. It's set in upstate New York. 
in this place called Four Paths, this little tiny town on the edge of a big scary wood. And there's a beast. He lives oh, no. in the gray on the outside, like right around in the woods. And he's trapped there. Um, and you don't want to go there because the beast's favorite flavor of snack is human. And the problem is that the beast's bonds are loosening. And when the book opens, they have found a, like a new bunch of bones that the beast has spit out. Um, it's kind of like the Hazelwood meets Sawkill Girls like so far. Um, <laughs> because there are founder families who live in four paths. Uh, who are responsible for keeping the beast in chains, in, you know, hypothetical chains. And it's not going well right now. Obviously, the beast has had some snacks, and it's not going well. <laughs> uh, and also, there's a new girl who moves to town. Her sister has just passed away. She's very upset, and things are very strange there. You know, she's kind of catching on that, that things are, are not quite what they should be in this town. Also, I love a thing in the woods story. Always. I will always read things in the woods. Because there are <laughs> things in the woods. So... I don't know. It's so much fun. Like I said, I've only read the first 30 pages. I would normally not mention a book I'd only read the first 30 pages, but I was out of time. Uh, so I was going to read this for the newsletter. Now I have to find something else. My life is a mess, people. <laughs> so anyway, this is so much fun. And also, I do want to mention, it has like a 4.83 rating on Goodreads or something right now. <laughs> and just all the starred reviews. So it's going to be so much fun. It's The Devouring Grey, and it's by Christine Lynn Herman. All right. That does sound like fun. Um, my last pick this week is called At Briarwood School for Girls. It's a novel by Michael Knight, who I just love. He writes Southern fiction that has this like really charming voice, but is always also substantial and very thoughtful. And I once met him in an elevator at a book conference and was so charmed by him that I'm sure I made absolutely zero sense. Um, so I'm, I like every time I think of his books, I hope that he does not remember that encounter. <laughs> but I will remember forever being like, blip, 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 you're so charming. Ha. Huh? Um, so at Briarwood School for Girls is set at a private boarding school in Northern Virginia, um, sort of outside the D.C. area in the early 90s. Uh, it's, of course, called Briarwood School for Girls. Um, the main character is Lenore Littlefield. Um, she's a basketball player. She doesn't like her roommate very much. And also, by the way, she's pregnant and she hasn't told anyone else. Um, while this is happening in her life, Disney has announced plans to build a theme park called Disney's America that will be um, about like the Disney version of American history. And this is a real thing that Disney tried to do in the early 90s, I learned. Um, so a lot of the sort of banana pants stuff that happens in the book or that Disney proposes or that the students protest about in the book are like those are things that people really did have to respond to because they're things that Disney really wanted to do like I don't like have a reenactment of the underground railroad to try to help you understand the experience of being a slave um you can probably understand why this theme park does not exist um, and the proposal was eventually abandoned. But this is happening in the world close to the book um, or close to the boarding school when the book begins. Um, so the like the threat of the theme park is looming. Lenore is pregnant and doesn't really um, – well, she does know what she's going to do, but she hasn't told anyone that she's pregnant or about her plan for it. Also, the girls at the school are becoming obsessed with Ouija boards. 
And Lenore has been assigned as a punishment for getting caught out after hours. She's been assigned to do service to the school by participating in the school play that is now being directed by someone who's not the drama director because the drama director is gone. And so one of the sports coaches who used to be a student decades ago at the school um, is now going to coach the play, uh, coach the play, direct the play, whatever. Uh, and all and their lives sort of all intersect. So like what happens in this book is interesting and fun. It was a really delightful read. But the layout of the book is what I really loved. It's told in this ensemble style where you get a chapter from Lenore's perspective, and then you get a chapter from the coach slash drama director's perspective. And then you get a history teacher who is Lenore's favorite teacher and is eventually the person that she blurts out the fact of her pregnancy to. Um, and then you get a chapter from the headmistress, and then you get one of the other girls and the Ouija board. And by the way, the play that they're going to perform this year was written by a former student, um, set at a fictional boarding school, has a main character who's pregnant that was inspired by like a legend of a previous student who was pregnant at the school. And Lenore thinks that she's getting phone calls at night from the dead girl. Um, so there's like a little touch of magical, mysterious stuff uh, that's happening there. Um, but really, like the ensemble cast and the way that the book builds on itself and that you get to know all of the other characters through each one's experience of the moments in the book is really, really lovely. Um, I think it would be like, I think this would be really fun to watch um, as a movie or to watch a TV series of just to see these rotating perspectives. I love it when a book does that really well. Um, and like the action, the plot is fun and interesting, but just like the way the characters are written, the way the book is put together is really what hooked me. I love Michael Knight's ability to turn a phrase and to tell us like everything we need to know about a character in one really sharp sentence. Um, this book was also apparently so tasty that as Liberty alluded, Jasper stole it off of the coffee table and had to taste it himself by way of like shredding it. <laughs> so my paperback galley got destroyed and luckily I had a hardcover <laughs> from the publisher. So I was able to just pick right back up. Um, but this is a household favorite here at Team Shinsky. Uh, so that's at Briarwood School for Girls by Michael Knight. I now, I now need to add Michael Knight under Bob and Janelle Monet to my list of enemies competing for Rebecca's affection. <laughs> oh, would you like me to provide you with a complete <laughs> list? <laughs> I, I've, I've got a pretty thorough one. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, also you're competing with a golden retriever puppy. Yes. So. Yeah, but that's, you know, <laughs> I understand that. Also now, like I haven't read this book because I knew you were going to read it, but now these like flowers on the front that look like Mickey Mouse make so much more sense. Yep. You know, I hadn't even realized that the flowers on the front look like Mickey Mouse. So I'm glad you said that. We're a team. <laughs> we are a team. <laughs> Um, and since I'm not on the show that often anymore, I just wanted to give a shout out to a few other things that I've read and loved lately. Um, one is Coders, The Making of a New Tribe and the Remaking of the World by Clive Thompson, whose previous book, Smarter Than You Think, about technology and how it's not actually ruining us, was one of my favorites. This is a fascinating history of coding, of pop culture of like the sort of the myths and the realities of being a coder and of the like really how integral 
coding and technology are um, to our lives now. But he also does like a deep history of women coders and how there used to be more in the 60s than there are now. And how did that happen? Um, Why is Silicon Valley so obsessed with disruptive technology? And is that actually helpful? Or does it marginalize people or both? Um, This is like deeply researched, really fun to read. I love Clive Thompson's narrative voice. I will read like his research on anything. Um, And I thought of this history of, of coders and sort of a look forward as well is it's like a big social history and predictive kind of thing I I loved it all so that was wonderful Um, I'm just about finished with the audiobook of Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid and if you are thinking about reading this book I heartily recommend doing it on audio it has a whole cast Jennifer Beals plays the main character Benjamin Bratt is on it Judy Greer is one of the supporting actresses the story is amazing it's presented as an oral history of a band from the 70s um, that have all the great things and all the problems that a band in the 70s would have and I don't normally do fiction on audio but since it's all set up as an oral history it does feel like you're just listening to these people tell you the true story about what happened to them and I am so so hooked it's wonderful um and then I just recently read a YA novel that came out a couple of months ago called This Is What It Feels Like by Rebecca Barrow, which is literally a getting the band back together story. Um, it's about three girls that had a great band together in their early high school years. And then the band broke up when one of the girls had to go to rehab and another one had a baby. But now they are just graduating from high school. And there's a big battle of the bands type competition coming up that you could win a lot of money for. So they decide to get the band back together and get over their issues with each other and go for the big competition. And I just loved the heck out of it. So those are new books and what we've been reading lately. And awesome. yeah, what are you going to read next? Um, first, I just want to say I've learned a lot today. I've oh, learned yeah. that you love Michael Knight. <laughs> I've learned that I've been saying integral wrong this whole time, maybe. <laughs> oh, I've learned a lot. I don't even know how I say it. But I was like, what did you just say? I've been saying that wrong. <laughs> maybe I'm saying it wrong. No, I don't think so. It's usually me. Um, so thank you. I've learned a lot. Uh, so uh, I'm going to read a book called Calvin, which is by Martine Levitt, um, which I came across when I was straightening my books, which I still haven't read. And I can't believe I haven't because it's about... A young man named Calvin who was born on the day that Bill Watterson published his last Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. He grows up with a stuffed tiger named Hobbes, who is his best friend, and also his other best friend, who is named Susie. But now Hobbes has fallen apart. He's been washed too many times, and Susie doesn't talk to him anymore. And also, he's now 17, and he's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. So he can't decide if... Hobbs and Susie have been real all this time or imaginary and decides that if he goes and finds Bill Watterson and asks him to write one last comic without Hobbs in it, he'll be cured. Oh. Right? Like, oh, my heart. Oh. It sounds amazing. I can't believe I haven't read this yet. It has all the starred reviews on the back and mm. a blurb from A.S. King. Like, what more could you want? Yes. So. I have to get that for Bob, who is, like, the world's biggest Calvin and Hobbes fan. I will send it to you as soon as I am okay. And I will write things yeah. inside, like, Rebecca loves Michael Knight! <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm actually just doodling, like, RJS plus MK with hearts around it on my notebook. <laughs> oh. uh, I'm glad well, we got to do this. 
Me too. Um, I don't know what I'm going to read next for new releases, but I have gone back and finally gotten into my copy of Dreyer's English by Benjamin Dreyer, which is so delightful. Like everyone said it was delightful and fun. And, but I think you just have to have the experience for yourself of reading a really delightful, charming style guide. Like I sat down with it last night and read a hundred pages about punctuation and I would have kept going if I hadn't fallen asleep. It's great. It's like, because it's like 110% him. It's his personality. Yeah. Like he needs yeah. his own talk show or podcast oh my or something. I mean, if you don't follow him I on do, Twitter, Oh, yes. I need him to have a podcast. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's so, it's just so wonderful and very useful, yes. but a really fun read. Um, all right. Well, that is our show. Don't forget to get your banana pants gear at bookriot.com slash banana pants, which is the URL that I have wanted to make my entire life. <laughs> You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you like the show, please take a minute to rate or review it on Apple Podcasts and help other book lovers find their way here. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And, and in the meantime... In the meantime... Happy Happy reading. reading.